0: Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News. Tuesday? Yes, because I took New Year's off. We are gathered here today, my loves, because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage. And you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway right? So I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds and others. So thank you for submitting. Now, unlike my regular podcast that I write out in its entirety before I record, this is unscripted and I don't read the articles past the headline so you and I can react together. Uh, So let's go. So our first article, I think, is going to wind up being um, Keith Jesperson, but I did not look ahead. Um, This one comes from CNN.com, and the title reads, A trucker killed women in six states. Investigators say they've identified his last victim. So, yep, here it is. Long-haul trucker Keith Hunter Jesperson killed at least eight women across the United States in the 1990s and sent authorities confession letters signed with smiley faces. But the identity of his last known victim remained a mystery for three decades. Florida. Of course it's Florida. Authorities this week identified her as Suzanne... Kjellenberg, who was 34 when she was killed in Jesperson's cross-country murder rampage. Landscapers found her remains along Interstate 10 in September of 94, said Sheriff Eric Aden of Okaloosa County in Florida. Jesperson, dubbed the happy face killer for his letters, had confessed to killing a woman named Susan or Suzette after his arrest at the time, but her identity was unknown for decades. So of the eight women he admitted killing, she was the only unidentified person until now. And then it says serial killer detailed victims last moments. Moments. Jesperson got the nickname Happy Face Killer after he sent confessions to journalists and police departments around the country to gain notoriety. His victim spanned six states, California, Nebraska, Wyoming, Oregon, Washington, and Florida. He was arrested in the mid-1990s and is serving seven life sentences at the Oregon State Penitentiary. So in a recent prison interview, he told investigators how he met Kellenberg at a truck stop near Tampa, and they traveled together to a rest area. He parked next to a security guard and approached the victim as she slept in the truck's bed. He told investigators she began screaming and wouldn't stop. He was not allowed to have unauthorized riders in his truck and didn't want to draw the security guard's attention, so he put his fist against her neck and placed zip ties around her throat. Investigators visited the killer at the prison last month on the anniversary of the day of her, that her body was found 29 years ago and coaxed him into a confession. Quote, this interview was unannounced. He did not know they were coming, but he fully cooperated. He talked openly about the murder and how it took place. He dumped her body a short time later in Holt on the side of the I-10. End quote. So for years, investigators worked to find the identity of the final victim's skeletal remains. At the time of her death, Killenberg was a drifter and had no known job. In 2007, a forensic artist completed a facial reconstruction to help identify her, but it did not generate any leads, the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office said. A year later, it sent the remains for additional anthropological examination. It also sent specimens to the FBI lab for DNA analysis and entry into the Missing National Missing and Unidentified Persons System database. A break in the case came when the medical examiner's office sent samples to Othram, a Texas-based company specializing in forensic genetic genealogy. And, you know, we've heard about this place quite a bit as of late, don't you think? It created a genealogical profile to assist in the victim's identification. Quote, from the analysis, they were able to narrow down a family member, and a family member gave a sample, and it became a 100% DNA hit, Aiden said during the news conference. The Forensic Sequencing Laboratory has provided several law enforcement agencies with advanced DNA testing and forensic-grade genome sequencing, leading to major clues in cold cases. Quote, Suzanne deserves a voice, and we're that voice for her today. He said her family lives in Wisconsin and has requested privacy. Quote, thanks to the tireless efforts of so many over so long, the remains of Suzanne Kielenberg, the final unidentified victim of Jesperson's cross-country murder sprees, can finally leave the medical examiner's office and return home. Jesperson has been charged with one count of homicide in Florida, but I can tell you right now that he's not getting out anyway. So mostly we just want to be super, super happy that at least her family have her remains now and things are, she can go home. Okay, our next article comes from bbc.com. Title reads, Gypsy Rose Blanchard released early from U.S. prison. And sidebar or side note, so many of you had sent me articles talking about her release day and stuff, so I know you guys were excited to hear about this. And although Gypsy was not born in the part of Missouri that I kind of am somewhat close to... Her mother did move her up to the Springfield, Missouri area when she was quite young, stating that they were Katrina survivors or something. I've not covered this case personally because I just feel like it's been covered to death. But I digress. Let's get to the article. So it says a woman who conspired to kill her abusive mother in a case that gripped the U.S. has been released early from prison. Gypsy Rose Blanchard, 32, pleaded guilty to the second-degree murder of D.D. Blanchard in Missouri in 2015. She plotted with her boyfriend, Nicholas Goadjohn, I don't think I've ever heard his last name, to kill her mother following years of abuse. He stabbed D.D. Blanchard to death with a knife her daughter gave him, and the pair fled the scene. They were then arrested hundreds of miles away in Wisconsin, where the boyfriend lived. He is serving a life sentence without parole. The case sparked intense media interest and spawned a number of documentary series and TV shows. Gypsy Rose Blanchard walked out of Chillicothe Correctional Center in Missouri at 3:30 a.m., I guess local time, on Thursday having served 7 years of a 10-year sentence. While in prison, she gave a number of interviews detailing her mother's abusive behavior and a memoir she wrote while behind bars is due to be published in January. In a recent interview with People magazine, she said, quote, "'Nobody will ever hear me say I'm glad she's dead or I'm proud of what I did. I regret it every single day,' End quote. Dee Dee Blanchard allegedly abused her daughter for years by convincing her that she was disabled and required medical support. She told people that Blanchard had multiple conditions, including epilepsy, vision impairments, and muscular dystrophy. She received support from charities and sought treatment from dozens of doctors, often portraying her daughter as younger than she actually was and subjecting her to unneeded medical treatments. And guys, this includes unnecessary surgeries. Okay. So Gypsy used a wheelchair, a feeding tube, and an oxygen tank, even though she could walk and had no health issues. She later said her mother kept her weak and isolated. Blanchard soon became more interested in the outside world, making a dating profile and then meeting her then boyfriend. Quote, I wanted to be free of her hold on me, Gypsy said during the trial. I talked him into it. She reached a plea deal with prosecutors due to the abuse she had suffered, which meant a 10-year sentence in exchange for pleading guilty. Quote, things are not always as they appear, Sheriff Jim Arnott said in 2015 as he described the case. This is a tragic event surrounded by mystery and public deception. End quote. That's the end of that article. But, you know, Gypsy's story is pretty interesting. There is a movie that has Sarah Paulson in it, and I forgot the name of it now. But I think it, I don't know if it's based on gypsy rose blanchard i'm not sure but it it seems pretty similar but this mother would shave her head you know shave her eyebrows off like it is absolutely crazy the kind of stuff this girl had you know like a feeding tube directly into her stomach i can't imagine all of the scars on her body and everything so i personally don't think that she is any kind of danger to society i don't think that she's ever going to I don't think it's going to even occur to her to really hurt anyone else after this. I think that this was just a a one-time, like perhaps maybe if Edmund Kemper had done this, I'm not saying his mother deserved to die, but do you get what I'm saying? I don't think Gypsy's going to be any kind of issue. Now, there was a lot of outrage, actually, kind of in the comments as people were sharing these news articles with me about how she is not as pristine and innocent as everyone thinks she is because she did meet a boy online when she wasn't supposed to be on the computer, and he was very neurodivergent. And so there's some people that think that, you know, she used his sort of neurodivergency against him or to her advantage to a degree. And so there is a level of manipulation there. But again, I don't think she's going to be any danger to society. So, you know, I don't know that we need to celebrate her mother's death, but you know, it's, it's, It's a reason it's not an excuse, if you get what I'm saying. So anyway, moving on. Our next article comes from CNN.com. Title reads, police identify human remains found 47 years ago in Arizona desert. So human remains found in 1976 by hikers in a shallow desert grave near Lake Mojave, just a few miles from the Arizona-Nevada border, have finally been identified. So Luis, Luis, Alonso, Paredes, who was originally from El Salvador, was positively identified thanks to national fingerprint records, quote, which was not an available resource at the time of the initial investigation, the Mojave County Sheriff's Office in Arizona said in a Facebook post last Tuesday. Authorities at the time created a composite sketch of the victim's probable likeness and took fingerprints, but were unable to match them to anyone. They also determined that the victim was a 30- to 35-year-old man who had been shot in the head at close range, according to the sheriff's office. The Mojave County Sheriff's Office Special Investigations Unit began revisiting the case in October of 2023. He may have been living or working in the Las Vegas area at the time of his death, according to the sheriff's office investigators have been unable to locate any relatives of his, but are encouraging anyone with information on the case or his family to contact detectives. And that's the end of that article. But I just think that that's great that our technological advances have gotten to the point where they're able to go through these old cold cases and stuff. It just makes me super happy. Moving on. Our next article comes from TrueCrimeDaily.com. Title reads, Florida teen accused of fatally stabbing Circle K clerk during a fight about a man they both dated. And don't we just love that kind of drama? Alamante Springs, Florida. Police arrested a 19-year-old woman this week on suspicion of fatally stabbing a 21-year-old Circle K clerk during a fight. According to a news release from the Altamonte Police Department on Tuesday, December 19th, shortly before 11 p.m., officers responded to Advent Health after a friend brought 21-year-old LaCaria Hall to the hospital for stab wounds. Hall died from her injuries shortly after her arrival. Police allege that the two got into a dispute at the Circle K when... One of them allegedly stabbed Hall several times with a knife. The two reportedly knew each other. The friend who brought Hall to the hospital was present during the attack, according to police. So the police commander, Evelyn Steenkamp, told WESH-TV that investigators believe the two individuals got into a dispute regarding a man they had both dated. However, police are still investigating the facts and what led up to the stabbing. Police arrested uh, Ramnerine and booked her into the John E. Polk Correctional Facility on a charge of second-degree murder. She remains held without bond. According to officers, many people were in the store at the time of the stabbing. Can you imagine going into Circle K, fricking 7-Eleven, come and go, whatever you have locally to you, and just, like, watch someone getting stabbed? That's horrible. In a statement obtained by WESH, a Circle K spokesperson said, quote, We are shocked and saddened by the loss of our team member, LaCaria Hall, during the senseless incident outside our store. Our hearts and condolences go out to her family and all who loved her. End quote. So, ladies, please do not be stabbing each other over a man or a woman or whomever might be between the two of you in some form of a love interest, it's not worth it. Seriously. Just let them have them. Move on. You'll find something better next, I assure you. Just don't. It's not worth it. At all. Our next article comes from the-express.com, Daily Express US. And the title reads, John Benet Ramsey's father... Federal law to combat child murders. Well, no shit. John Ramsey is advocating for the classification of child murder as a federal offense to prevent the recurrence of errors in his daughter's investigation. In a poignant plea, 27 years after the tragic murder of his daughter, John Ramsey, the father of John Benet Ramsey, is demanding a federal law that designates the murder of a child under 12 as a federal offense. That is odd because one would assume it was already a federal offense. The call for change is rooted in the perceived mishandling of John Binet's case by the Boulder, Colorado Police, and the potential benefits of a unified federal response to such heinous crimes. Speaking exclusively to the U.S. son, John Ramsey, who is now 80 years old, expressed his frustration with the decentralized nature of law enforcement in the United States, where 18,000 different police jurisdictions operate. Independently. In the case of John Benet's murder, Ramsey contends that the Boulder Police's refusal to seek external assistance hindered the investigation, labeling it as the second tragedy in the case. Oh, that's. No, it's not. Here it is. He believes that a federal law designating child murders as a federal offense would enable a more coordinated and efficient response, bringing together the collective resources of the nation to swiftly solve such cases. Uh, Reflecting on the events leading to John JonBenet's tragic end on Christmas in 1996, Ramsey criticized the Boulder Police Department's initial handling of the case. He emphasized the importance of accepting external help, citing experienced homicide detectives who asserted that the case could have been easily solved with the right resources from the beginning. Despite the passage of time, Ramsey remains committed to seeking justice for John Binet. And I mean, of course, what parent isn't? In recent meetings with Boulder PD, he made two specific requests to aid the investigation. Firstly, he urged the testing of several pieces of evidence, including a garret, garrot found around John Binet's neck for DNA. Secondly, he called for all DNA results to be handed over to state-of-the-art genealogy labs, citing their success in solving cold cases. Okay, wait a second. Okay, let me, let me butt in here. I still cannot fathom why they have not taken the DNA and run the tests run it through the the genealogy stuff why has that not happened yet can anyone explain to me in lay terms why this has not already been done i have a feeling that we all could have some sense of closure in the john benet case if they would just run the fucking dna i don't understand why that's not happening so if any of you understand why there is a delay on analyzing that dna and running it through all the genealogy stuff Please explain it to me because it, it does not make any sense to me. It's not logical. Okay. One potential lead in the case involves Gary Oliva Oliva, a convicted pedophile who was previously confessed, who previously confessed to accidentally killing John Binet. Handwriting analysis on the ransom note has pointed to him as the likely author, although I thought that they matched it up to Patsy's handwriting. Clearly, I am forgetting key pieces of this investigation. Uh, Ramsey finds this development encouraging and emphasizes the need for advanced DNA testing to conclusively solve the case. The Boulder Police Department, traditionally tight-lipped about the ongoing investigation, has not yet commented on Ramsey's latest requests or the potential involvement of that pedophile. However, a long awaited review of John Bene's murder by the Colorado Cold Case Review Team in collaboration with Boulder PD is expected to take place before the year's end. Well we are on january first, fuckers, let's get it done. John Ramsey remains hopeful that advancements in DNA technology coupled with a renewed investigative effort will finally bring closure to the decades long mystery surrounding John Benay's tragic death. Uh, The DNA should have been tested by now. I'm sorry. That just really kind of irritates me. But anyway, moving on. We have another article, and this one is from, if you guys can even remember, this is sort of a dinosaur of the Internet age, right? This is from AOL.com, right? Title reads, Longtime Pennsylvania news anchor, 42, fatally struck by train, death ruled a homicide, coroner says. So then it says maybe I should say this this story discusses suicide if you are someone you know is having thoughts of suicide you know reach out okay so trigger warning i guess a beloved Pennsylvania news anchor fatally struck by a train earlier this week died by suicide according to the Erie County Coroner's office Erie news now anchor Emily Matson 42 and then in quotes died unexpectedly on Monday, according to her obituary shared by Duskus Martin Funeral Home. She was reportedly struck by a train in Fairview, Pennsylvania, where she lived. Erie County Coroner Lyle Cook confirmed to Fox News Digital that Matson's death was ruled a suicide and remains under investigation. A journalist for Erie News Now for nearly two decades she had anchored the 7 p.m. news in recent years with her dear friend John. Quote, "What you all saw at 7 p.m. was genuine, honest reactions between longtime friends. Nothing was staged. You can tell we barely read our scripts. It led to a lot of laughter and off-topic shenanigans. Man, I wish I could have seen this news report. That sounds awesome. We got in trouble because some days we didn't have enough time to say goodbye at the end of the show." Um, her male counterpart, wrote in a heartbreaking tribute on Facebook. Quote, "'I do not need to tell you that Emily was a beautiful person, nor do I need to tell you she was hardworking and a true professional. Each night you saw the real Emily, nothing fake about her.' We had dinner together, attended community events, and often met in the weather center for some good old-fashioned talk. It also led to 3 a.m. text messages, mostly funny social media posts, and silly gab, end quote. Uh (laughs) Really? Quote, her last text to me was on Friday. It had me in stitches through the weekend and definitely not suitable for TV, he shared. After the show last Friday, I thought I'd see her again. I said, have a nice weekend. Like the end of many of our shows, we truly didn't have enough time to say goodbye. I will miss Emily. A funeral mass is scheduled at St. Jude the Apostle Church in Erie on Saturday. And then it's just a lot of people talking about, um, you know, instances they had with her, memories that they had with her, but... I'm not seeing anything in here that talks about how she was dealing with depression or anything, so I don't know. It seems a little odd to me. I don't know. Anyway, bless her heart. Okay, our next article comes from NBCNews.com, and the title reads, Long Island Mother Pleads Guilty to the Double Murder of Her Two-Year-Old Twin Girls. Man. A Long Island mother pleaded guilty to the murder of her two-year-old girls, twins, who were suffocated in June 2019, authorities said. Tenia Campbell, 28, of Medford, New York, entered guilty pleas to two counts of first-degree murder in state court in Suffolk County on Monday, Suffolk County District Attorney Raymond A. Tierney said. She is expected to be sentenced to 20 years in prison next month. Not long enough. On June 27, 2019, Campbell was gripped by suicidal thoughts as she drove a minivan with her twins toward the eastern tip of the island, Tierney's office said. The three stopped under a tree at the entrance of Montauk County Park, 3rd House Nature Center. Montauk. Guys, I covered Montauk. In one of my kind of... I don't know if it was a October Halloween Extravaganza special or what it was. Uh, or the true story behind Stranger Things, maybe, I think. I can't remember which episode it was. But I covered Montauk, so that's super interesting. Anyway, uh, it goes on to say, Campbell's mother had called 911 to express concern about the twins, Jasmine and Jada Campbell, saying her daughter threatened to kill them and herself. Authorities launched a search that included help from local and state police, park rangers, and the Coast Guard. Campbell was connected to a call between her mother and authorities, prosecutors said, but she wouldn't divulge her location. Her cell phone signals were used to help zero in on the trio, the DA's office said. About one hour and 20 minutes after Campbell's mother first called, East Hampton Town police officers spotted the minivan and confirmed Campbell was with it. NBC New York has reported that Campbell got out of the minivan, walked to a nearby roadway, and told responding officers, quote, shoot me, quote, the officer walked over to the van and saw Campbell's two-year-old twin daughters dead in their car seats, the Suffolk County office said in its latest statement, released on Monday. Campbell later admitted to smothering the girls to death. The girls were said to be in cardiac arrest when the first responders got to them, and they were rushed to Stony Brook Southampton Hospital, where they were pronounced dead, the office said. In a July 10, 2019 statement, the office, then led by District Attorney Timothy D. Sinney, said the county medical examiner concluded the twins died of, quote, homicidal violence consistent with manual asphyxia, end quote. Prosecutors said at the time that Campbell admitted to police that she killed the twins. Quote, those two little girls looked to this defendant, their mother, for protection and love. Instead, she executed them. This is such a sad and tragic case. Well, you know, in my opinion, it's just sort of pooling together with all the other ones with these mothers that are killing their children. I do not understand it. Listen, guys, I have depression. I have really bad, seriously bad depression. And I have to take medication for it. And I have had suicidal ideation in my life. I mean, of course I have. Never once has it ever crossed my mind or occurred to me to put my hands on my children in any mean or violent or otherwise life-ending way. Like they don't, the only thing that ever goes through my mind is they'd be better off without me. That's like the worst thing. You know, maybe their lives would be better if they didn't have to sit and watch me basically try to run through a pool of water or something. You know what I mean? Everything's slow motion. But it's just never occurred to me to harm kids So while I I understand it, I don't understand it. You get what I'm saying? I'm sure you do. So for our last article, it comes from WinkNews.com. W-I-N-K, I I think is a television station, but I thought that was cute. WinkNews.com. Title reads, body discovered in, let me see if I can do this, Caloosahatchee River identified. I think I got it. Nailed it. A body seen floating face down in the Caloosahatchee River near a Pinchers on West 1st Street in Fort Myers has been identified. Fort Myers, where? I don't know where Caloosahatchee River is. Where is it? Uh, According to a report from the Fort Myers Police Department, authorities discovered the body of a 63-year-old Gerald Andrew Baez floating in the river. FMPD didn't remove Baez from the water until the Fort Myers Fire Department Marine Unit arrived on the scene. Officer Pablo Hernandez helped the Marine Unit move Baez onto the fire department's boat. On December 9th, FMPD was called about an abandoned vehicle discovered on the Caloosahatchee Bridge. The Fort Myers Communications Department told Officer Brian Pereira the vehicle was registered to Baez. Oh, that's that's the whole article? Well, now I'm on a mission. Where is this? Where is this? I'm clicking on a link, guys. I'm just taking you with me, I guess. Fort Myers police responded near the bank of the Caloosahatchee River to investigate. Hang on a second. This is bothering me. Okay, I had to pause the recording and look it up. But it is definitely in the kind of down in the southern Florida area. So... There you go. I had to look it up. But, of course, it's Florida. I should have just automatically assumed that it was. But anyways, guys, that's going to do it for Monday Morning Murder in the News on a Tuesday morning. Because it was a holiday, I'm sure you guys forgive me. I hope everyone had a great Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Yule. Or if you don't celebrate any holidays towards the end of the year, I just hope that the end of your year was good. And if not, then we have this year coming up that we can start, you know. I'm not doing uh, resolutions because I just don't stick with them. You know, I'm just not going to do that. But I hope you guys can. I have heard good things coming from people who Heard me say be nice to customer service people during the holidays because the public can be a bunch of jackasses, and I would know. I worked in a grocery store from high school into my first stint of college eight years, so I know exactly how people are. That's why I go out of my way to say, hey, be nice to the customer service people, okay? You have no idea what kind of people they're dealing with all day long. It is horrific. And if your customer service person is kind of being a jerk, go ahead and automatically assume that some other customer put them in that mood. So smile, be nice. Leave an extra little tip if you're in the United States and it's not considered rude. I'm learning a lot with this podcast. Anyway, um, happy new year to everyone. Do behave yourselves. I hope you are wearing your seatbelts and not drinking and driving because if you were, then your ass is grass. You're grounded. You can ground yourself for the next 30 days, actually, because I said so. Have a fantastic week, guys. I love you guys so much. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye.